a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 68 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your ticket to the EU. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes and right on our own Facebook page, at SW Beyond Films. But enough about how you got here, let's get the show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, Mark Herleman. And with me, like I-5, hanging around Jax Pavan, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuity, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! Hey, how's it going? Though, you know... I gotta say, with uh, I-5, at least you can take his uh, brain and stick it into other bodies thanks to uh, The Last Jedi. I think in my case it might be good to be the other way around. Let me keep the body, but switch out the part of my mind or the part of my brain that's giving me the migraines and stuff like that. And it'll be okay. I kind of envy I-5 at this point. Swap out a module. <laughs> Modular human brains, you know, coming soon to you from Google. Yeah. It's, it's been a busy uh, week here at Stars Beyond the Films. I, I've been sharing some birthday photos and stuff like that. Uh, if you probably hadn't noticed that this last week's episode was delayed a day or two, uh, that was why I totally spaced off how much time I had to get ready for the party. So it was last minute, go, 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 go. And it went off without a hitch. Had the 501st there. Darth Vader showed up. Did not expect that. We knew uh, we were going to have Boba Fett, and we knew Poe Kloon might be coming, but... Uh, Vader totally took us by surprise, so it worked out. It was a very fun party. Every single of the 25-plus kids RSVP'd, so, yeah, we were very busy. We were only expecting half to, to RSVP. No one ever RSVPs, so having everyone do it, not even knowing it was a Star Wars-themed party, was pretty intense. Nice, yeah. Party and event planning is, is definitely not my specialty, to be honest with you. I We're working on getting the last of the wedding plans ready to go now, and uh, we figured out the music. Uh, a lot of Star Wars music being added into different points. Um, I'm going to have to mix at least one of my own, apparently, though, because Jody wants to go down the aisle to basically... And then go back to the, essentially, the, uh, the wedding march thing. That's so, awesome. Uh, yeah, so we're kind of working out the details. I'm going to have to probably mix that one together myself in Audacity or something, because somehow I doubt that there is a a fully featured version of that that's already available somewhere. I'm sure it's not. we're not the first to have the idea, um, but I've never ran across one that's actually put together and available out there. Well, no one has shared theirs yet. <laughs> I worked five hours diligently to get that 30-second mix just right. No, it's mine, my own, my precious. <laughs> nice. So, uh, amidst all of my illness and everything else and my stopping up this, you may be hearing that, folks, through my, my voice, feeling like I'm a little more uh, muffled than I usually am here. Uh, I'm going to fight through this one because this is a topic this week that I think really needs to be addressed because there's a lot of doom and gloom out there, and maybe it's warranted, maybe it's not. So, Mark, what are we talking about this time?
Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask those tough questions. You know, those questions that have bothered you for a long time, or the simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we ponder the recent killing, I, I mean ending, of LucasArts by Disney. Now consider this your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go. That's right, the company that began as Lucasfilm Games eventually became LucasArts, produced uh, quite a few games and published quite a few games, until eventually, of course, with this new acquisition by Disney, we have this issue where they've sort of been downsized. It's not so much that they're gone, but they're not going to develop games in-house, and they're just going to essentially be a, a licensing arm for other companies to make games. And one thing that intrigued me about this, that I want to kind of make clear from the get-go here so that we could uh, give ourselves a framework for some of our discussion, is that there is a difference. Just like in book publishing, there's a difference in video game manufacturing between the developer and the publisher. We know this when it comes to books, right? Somebody writes a story, they're essentially the developer of the novel, and then a publisher is the one that picks it up, has it physically printed, does the advertising, gets it all out to the stores, and that sort of thing, right? They're sort of the, the marketing end, so to speak, of the entire process, the big money end to get the attention for it and whatnot. The same thing goes for video games. A video game developer is someone who actually creates a video game. They may do it completely from scratch, or they may do something like a uh, paying a licensing fee to use something like the Unreal Engine or the Havoc Engine or something. So there's sort of a, a toolbox of video game creation software already there ready to go, and then they'll use that toolbox to create a game. But either way, a developer is the video game creator. They're the ones who put it all together. But then they're not necessarily always the ones who then put it out to market and do the advertising and such. Oftentimes, that comes down to a video game publisher somebody like Electronic Arts or EA as we usually know it, uh, you know, uh, it, it's one of these things where there's the creative side, but then just like in, in book publishing, there is the marketing side. The publisher is the one that puts it out, physically makes the copies, whether we're talking a cartridge or a disc or whatever, um, and they're the ones who try to get the attention for it and so forth. These days you usually see the names of both on the actual game, but not necessarily so in the past, at least not as prominently. LucasArts has been in all three possible situations. They've been video game, or I guess four in a sense. They have been video game developers creating their own games that have then been published by someone else. They have published games that somebody else developed. They have developed and published their own games. And every so often they have just licensed out, say, Star Wars and not done the developing or the publishing themselves. For instance, Star Wars Lethal Alliance, that oft-forgotten Nintendo DS and PSP game was developed by Ubisoft Casablanca and published by Ubisoft themselves. Only thing Lucasfilm had to do with it, or LucasArts had to do with it, was to say, yeah, yeah, use Star Wars and cut us in on some of those profits. So the big question that appeared to me as I started thinking about the closing of Lucasfilm and this idea that nowadays they're going to try to just license things out and not make their own games is, how many of the great Star Wars games actually were games that were made by LucasArts, like what we know was happening with uh, First Assault and Star Wars 1313. How many were actually games they made 
and published or had someone else publish? And how many were just games where somebody else made it, some other talented group made it, just like what would be happening now? And then LucasArts was just the one to publish it and put it out there for us. Because if it turns out to be the former, the closing of Lucasfilm is a really bad thing. If it turns out to be the latter, the closing of Lucasfilm might not mean very much in the long run. Yeah, that was something I was noticing that, you know, some people would throw, well, there was this game and that game. And they were using it as an example of LucasArts as a shining pillar of awesomeness. And then you would hear those same games being referenced as, well, those were licensed out. That really wasn't LucasArts. So I've been very curious as to where, when the dust settles, LucasArts really lies with a lot of these games. Because, you know, I think of like... uh, the X-Wing and the TIE Fighter games, the Battlefronts, the Rogue Squadrons, uh, the Republic Commandos, you know, the Tor games, KOTOR, uh, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, honestly, I, I could not begin to tell you. I mean, when you start laying it out there with the, the producer, the publisher, and all that, it's like, okay, well, that makes a little more sense. Well, you know what? I really only would, would have been able to tell you which ones were developed outside of LucasArts for a handful of games, only because of knowing them from recent memory, seeing the same names on them, like Chrome Studios for a while had their name on a lot of Star Wars games. So what I did was, before the show, I went over to the LucasArts website, which does still exist, at least for now, and went through their own sort of resume of games that they list on their site. They list them year by year, and they don't distinguish when putting them out like that, whether they were the developer or the publisher, whether they actually created the games or just marketed the things after the fact. And I went through and did some research on every one of the Star Wars games that they list on their website as part of their resume to figure out which ones did they develop, which ones did they publish, and if they were developed by someone else or published by someone else, which of those companies still exist? As much as we're talking about, you know, the demise of of LucasArts as a game developer, maybe there were some companies that developed some great Star Wars games that have disappeared that we just haven't really paid as much attention to as perhaps we should have. So I'm going to kind of couch this discussion a little bit in some of the stuff uh, chronologically that we see here. I know that Maniac Mansion, of course, was the first game that they actually developed themselves and published themselves. That was way back in the day. That was back in 1987. But if we're talking Star Wars, the first Star Wars game... Uh, that actually was something that uh, would be considered a licensed or published, th- or not licensed, a developed or published thing by LucasArts. Not something that was licensed out to some other company. Like I think it was Mattel uh, or, or Milton Bradley back in the day uh, doing the old Atari games, for instance. We're talking something that had to have been either developed or published by Lucasfilm, so it's on their resume, was the 1991 Star Wars game, for the Nintendo Entertainment System, not the 1987 one from Japan uh, through Namco, the one that had the shape-changing uh, Scorpion Vader and all that weird stuff, but the one that appeared in the United States, uh, Star Wars for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Take a shot here. Do you think this is one that LucasArts themselves developed, or just were they the ones that put it out? How do you think LucasArts factors into this one? Oh, well, I mean, I, I, would, I would logically want to say that as their first game, that they had their hands on it, but the realist in me goes, well, oh, well, I mean, I, I would I would logically want to say that as their first game that they had their hands on it, but the realist in me goes, well, maybe it was outside of their reach and maybe they had to tap into somebody that knew a thing or two more about games than they did at that time. Um, I'm going to go on a limb, though, and say it was them. 
I think you're actually right in your worries and at the same time right in your answer. Uh, Star Wars for the NES was actually both for the 8-bit Nintendo system. It was created by LucasArts and Beam. Uh, and Beam, if you're curious, you know, are they still around? Beam was sold to Chrome, Chrome Studios, in 2006. But then Chrome Studios mostly shut down with a ton of layoffs back in 2010. They're, they're still around technically, but they pretty much stopped producing the games. And oddly enough, this is one of those reversals where LucasArts, with Beam, developed that game. But it was actually published by JVC out there. So if you see that one, it actually says Lucasfilm Games, because they weren't even called LucasArts at the time. And up at the very top, little logo there for JVC. So the original Star Wars that got it out there for the Nintendo Entertainment System, the first of that trilogy that never ended, because they never put out a regular Nintendo version of Return of the Jedi, was a LucasArts project. They hit the ground running with their first Star Wars game here. That is interesting. I mean, I did not at all think that Star Wars gaming started in the 90s. I mean... I just naturally assumed that it was much later than that, like in the 80s, mid-80s. Um, does this take in, into account the X-Wing computer games, or is this just all console-based? Well, I mean, there were Star Wars games uh, previously. I had gotten confused a bit ago on which company it was. Uh, for instance, the one that I was thinking of for a lot of the Atari games was actually Parker Brothers. Um, but mostly they were licensed out. Uh, the X-Wing games actually were from 1993, so this will include those, but... Uh, they came actually after the original Nintendo Entertainment System game. Wow, that that just rocked my childhood right there. Huh. So apparently all this time I was playing the X-Wing games, it was when I was going back up to my hometown and visiting my friend, not before I moved. Interesting. We should also know, I guess, that if you think about it, that's 1991. That's around the same time that we finally saw the birth of the modern expanded universe. So they do. there is a, a coinciding here of when LucasArts became more uh -huh. directly involved. Um, 1992 brought us The Empire Strikes Back for the Nintendo Entertainment System. This one was actually developed uh, just by LucasArts and published again by JVC, just like the other. But then we have Super Star Wars, uh, the beginning of the Super Star Wars trilogy on the Super Nintendo. 16-bit, well-beloved games, thought of some of the hardest games on the Super Nintendo by some. Um, what about these? Produced by LucasArts themselves or not? Well, we're looking at Super Nintendo here. I want to say at the next generation system, they may have been like, well, we're not sure what this generation system does. Let's maybe tap someone else that's a little more familiar with it. Uh, I'm going to say that they they had less to do with those ones than the others. I will say, though, it's interesting on their list that they show the first X-Wing game as 93, but on the case that I'm holding here in my hand, it says 92 on it. <laughs> Well, Super Star Wars, the Super Star Wars trilogy, you're right. It wasn't LucasArts. And this is one of these things that's always held up as a great example of how great LucasArts games actually are. But you know what? It wasn't LucasArts. It was Sculptured Software, a company that was eventually picked up by Acclaim in 1995 and then closed in 2002. So this shining example of LucasArts is a shining example of LucasArts game publishing not developing interesting interesting although you know it's funny that people use those as shining examples those reminded me of the old bionic commando style game you know i mean i remember especially in the hoth one like there was a spot underneath the hoth ice cap where it was just so hard i was like oh my god did they make this impossible on purpose <laughs> use the force oh yeah those were games where the debug codes 
were things that you had to know. You had to know how to enter them, where to enter them, where you can get yourself like uh, extra lives or extra uh, powerful weapons at the beginning. So instead of having to build up to the plasma gun or whatever it was, you know, you could get it from the start. I remember those being nightmarishly difficult until you reach the point where you realize there are those debug codes there. But those those are actually kind of cool because you can pick those up on the virtual console on the Wii still. I've got Super Star Wars that way, but I didn't pick up the other two. Um, but you actually can still play those these days on a relatively modern console. You might be saying, well, wait a second, there's, the Wii is not a modern console. The Wii U has replaced it. If you've never played a Wii U, the Wii U actually has a mode to switch it over to basically a Wii mode, and you can use the virtual console Wii games on the Wii U. So, whichever way, you can still play them out there now. It's curious, though, with the aspect of the 92-93 with the uh, X-Wing game there, that they would put X-Wing up with Imperial Pursuit and B-Wing. Um, you know, like I said, I, that for me was the first video game I played when it came to Star Wars. I love the aspect that you could fly off into space forever and ever. Amen. And then turn around and you have to come all the way back. It was I don't know. For me, there was a grounded realism there, even though the graphics were very cheesy. They were very much Tron of the time. Um, but, you know, when I look back on games, that for me was my pinnacle. And where does that one lie? I mean, I, I, I would honestly say because it was a computer game, I would say that that was a LucasArts 100% creation. Am I right? Well, the X-Wing series, we're talking uh, X-Wing plus its expansions, Imperial Pursuit and B-Wing, and TIE Fighter and its expansion, Defender of the Empire and X-Wing Alliance, and X-Wing vs. TIE Fighter, which had its own expansion, uh, Balance of Power, all of those games always hailed as the pinnacle of that type of gaming. LucasArts changes the world for sci-fi space simulators, developed by Totally Games, Ooh. not LucasArts. Really? The same that people is that, cool. And it's always said that, well, LucasArts, you know, changed the way we look at space simulators and such with X-Wing. And before X-Wing, they had, uh, uh, I think it was Secret Weapons of the Luftwaffe and these other uh, flight simulator games from LucasArts that really sort of paved the way for the X-Wing game. Yeah. By Totally Games. Totally Games, by the way, is still around and they still uh, point back to the X-Wing games as some of their big shining moments. I mean, this was a collaboration between the two. But the actual developer of the games, uh, yeah, that was totally games, not LucasArts themselves. Wow. It, you know, it is interesting to note, though, as these smaller companies have, as you are mentioning, getting bought out, they're getting bought out by companies I actually recognize. So th that is interesting that while they are disappearing, they're kind of being absorbed into things that, you know, we do know of. So it's not like those companies are quite being lost. They're just more being integrated. And I like that it doesn't give you that doom and gloom feeling like, you normally know, oh, there goes another company. Well, no, they've just been absorbed into the board collective of the gaming consoles. I will say when we get to some of these companies, it seems like 2009 was like the year of the nuclear bomb on many of these companies. Um, there are quite a few that are going to wind up disappearing in that same year, either after being gobbled up by some other company or you know, by themselves falling away. Now, what would you say? There's another flight sim that was released in 1993. Uh, I actually had it for the Sega CD, and it was the first thing that I ever pre-ordered. I, I ordered through the Lucasfilm Company store, I ordered that $100 uh, VHS limited edition set where you could get the Star Wars films way before the THX editions in widescreen with it from Star Wars to Jedi, uh, behind the scenes video with it, and the little uh, uh, 
edited version of Creative Impulse and all that stuff with a hologram cover and all that. Uh, I ordered that, and I ordered a pre-order of Rebel Assault for Sega CD, and then that sucker got delayed and delayed and delayed and finally came in. I remember calling almost every week to ask them, when is the freaking game coming out when I was very, very young? One of the few things I ever, I remember like, you know, mommy, daddy, here's the money uh, that I've, you know, built up over time or had for birthdays or whatever, you know, let's order this because we need a credit card to do it. So what would you say about Rebel Assault? Is that, it's that game that is sort of a flight simulator type of thing, not as detailed as X-Wing, has its own story that somewhat clashes, or actually a lot, clashes with what we see in A New Hope with the idea of Rookie One uh, being there for the Death Star attack. Uh, he's saved not by the Millennium Falcon like Luke was, but by an A-Wing, etc., etc. Uh, what would you say about Rebel Assault? Uh, you know, it's funny because I'm actually holding this game in my hand. It's one of the few that I have here of the computer games uh, by Vincent Lee, it says on the cover of it. It's interesting, though, that I am going to lean with uh, it is them. Uh, I want to say it's them because I remember when this game came out, it was marketed a little differently. It had a different stylization to it. Everything about it felt different. Um, and, I, and I could probably be wrong, they just licensed out to someone else, but I'm going to say that they this was their first attempt at, at giving it a full go. And that is right. Rebel Assault is a straight-up LucasArts game. So it was, but not X-Wing. Uh, I guess we should also note that in 1993 also saw the release, at least according to LucasArts' uh, uh, resume here, of Super Empire Strikes Back, which is another sculptured software item there. Pushing us into 1994, we saw the LucasArts developed and LucasArts published release of Rebel Assault for the Mac CD. We saw Super Return of the Jedi, which is of course also by Sculptured Software, which was picked up by Acclaim, which was then closed in 02, as already mentioned. TIE Fighter and Defender of the Empire appeared in 1994 uh, from Totally Games, again, being the ones who developed it. Really, the only new Star Wars content for 1994, at least on LucasArts' own little resume thing here, is Star Wars Screen Entertainment. Do you even remember Star Wars Screen Entertainment? It was like a package I... of screensavers with like the Jawas that could walk across and take your screen apart and you could make your own opening crawls and stuff. I vaguely, but I remember I couldn't get it to work. Like, I, I remember I had a packet that came with a whole bunch of discs and stuff, and there was something like that that had all this bonus content on it. And I think the only thing off of there I was able to get to work were all the desktop sounds. Like, I remember, like, instead of the ding, when you'd go and hit a button that wouldn't work, it would say, it would have Han Solo going, you can't get out that way, you can't get out that way. And I remember when I had it, like, it drove everyone in the house nuts because my dad was just like, what did you do to the computer? Because every sound had been either Han Solo or Chewie or Vader breathing. And he's just like, what in the heck is wrong with the computer? And I didn't know what I had done. I just knew I had engaged it, and I did not know how to take it back. I was like, uh, uh. Well, that one turns out it was a, uh, a an internal Lucasfilm uh, entertainment release. Now, whether it's actually through LucasArts or not, I haven't been able to determine. But it was an, an in-house type of project for that one. So that was developed um, by at least a Lucas company here. That's also where they uh, took uh, that format because the year before they had the X-Wing Collectors uh, collection, and then the next year they did something similar with the TIE Fighter collection. But I remember when that came out, I didn't realize that there was more than one TIE Fighter game at that time. I only had the first one. Well, now, speaking of these these series that we sort of know and love from the 90s, 95 is actually where we start to get into a little bit more of those we see a Rebel Assault 2, The Hidden Empire, the one that actually does fit more with continuity and had 
uh, some live action stuff recorded for it. That's another LucasArts one, of course, just like Rebel Assault 1. Usually it doesn't change hands in the middle of a series. Then we have the one that is thought of as one of the big groundbreaking games within Star Wars and within the gaming industry as a whole. And it was a very successful first-person shooter in the mold of something like Wolfenstein 3D or something like Doom, which of course was Star Wars Dark Forces, the introduction of Kyle Katarn and Jan Ors to the Star Wars saga in 1995. Woohoo! Uh, what about this one? What do you think? LucasArts themselves or someone else? I'm going to go on a limb here and say it was LucasArts themselves because I remember this was the big hubbub. This was like, George Lucas is giving the okay for the toys, the games, and the books all to collaborate and make you an awesome project that is Dark Forces. I, I mean, I remember that was like, that was the biggest fandom event for me at the time. I didn't even know fandom existed, but I was like, yeah, I was caught up in that moment. And looking back on it now, it's like I didn't even realize I was having a fandom moment. And that is right. Dark Forces was an internally developed and internally published LucasArts game. They did actually make that one. Well, real quick, before you move into 96, uh, that bundle I was talking about was that LucasArts Archives Volume 1 in 95. I remember getting that because it was all in uh, DV-ROM versus the disc drives that the old X-Wing games were. And so I remember I went out and I bought that a second time, and my dad was like, why are you getting that? And I'm just like, because it's got it on CD. I'm like, I don't have to load forever. I mean, that's the thing about those older games that I remember the most was how long it took to load them, set up the boot drive, all that other stuff. And 9 out of 10 times on my computers... They never worked right away. I had to go in and do something else. So I remember vaguely uh, getting that thing, and I still have it to this day, but not all the games on it I got to play because it was in that aspect of the computers were upgrading themselves. You were starting to get Windows 98. Some of the systems didn't play on the older ones, and I remember that was very, very frustrating that as technology was moving up, these games were falling behind, but it was nice that they gave you these archive sets and stuff that kind of brought it up to date. I'm looking forward to them going back and re-rendering some of these old games someday for a newer system. I know it probably will never happen, but God, I'd love to see it. Yeah, that's why I'm not really a PC gamer. I mean, uh, yes, I can play The Old Republic if I want on my new computer, but I mean, I don't like the idea that you have to constantly make sure that your specs are exactly right, otherwise you may have bought something that won't work. I can't tell you the number of times that I've had something that either didn't work or only partially worked. Give me consoles every time. Though, on a side note, there is one thing I think, or at least I hope, could be a promising thing with this Disney acquisition. If they just want to get as much money and as much profit out of the Star Wars license as they can, there are a ton of old games for, for instance, the, the PSP, like uh, Lethal Alliance and such, that were licensed out through LucasArts that have not been made available digitally. Some Star Wars games are up as, say, a PS1 classic on the PlayStation Network store, for instance, but not most of them. So it'd be nice to see some of these releases that were only available in certain forms perhaps be released for some of these consoles that can play old games, but they can't play them on the old media. They have to play them as some type of digital download um, as a new release of an old game type of thing. So, I'm, yeah, my fingers are crossed that we're going to see something like that because I'd love to someday play the PSP version of Lethal Alliance, having played the DS version. I'm that way with Battlefront. Yeah, both Battlefront games that they did. Uh, there's two of them on the handhelds, right? Yeah, there's uh, Battlefront. Well, they've got handheld versions of 1 and 2, but they're very skimped-down versions. 
But yeah, you got uh, Renegade Squadron was out there just for PSP, and then yeah. you've got uh, which can, which can be played on the PSP Go because they did release it digitally also. And then oh, you got that's... Elite Squadron that can be played uh, digitally on the PSP Go. Uh, it can be played uh, as a disc-based game, and they also put that one out for the DS. Though they are significantly different games, and you need to actually see both of the Elite Squadron games to get the whole story. They each leave out giant chunks of the story and interweave together, which was not the way it was marketed. See, and I've always wanted to see those two put on a console together as, you know, in a sense, Battlefront 3. I mean... Well, that's what Battlefront 3 was. Yeah. If you look at any of the old footage, the story of Elite Squadron is the story of Battlefront 3 before it died with X1 and X2 and Fallon Gray and all that. Well, that's where I feel robbed because I didn't have those handheld systems. I didn't want to go out and buy them just to follow that story, but yet... They never put that story anywhere else. You had to do that. So it would be cool to see, you know, in that regard. I'd be happy for Disney to go out and milk some Star Wars that way because I would love to get some of that content back in a way that I would be able to use it without having to go out and buy a whole new system. (laughs) Anyway. That moves us into around 1996 where we see things like Rebel Assault coming out for the PlayStation, Rebel Assault 2 for the PlayStation. We see a PlayStation release of Dark Forces. Uh, The big thing going into this year, though, is... Uh, what was one of the system sellers, one of the killer apps, so to speak, to get people to buy a Nintendo 64. Star Wars Shadows of the Empire, the multimedia project tying into the comics by, I believe it was John Wagner, the novel by Steve Perry, uh, and of course, tons of stuff out there, treating it like a a movie release without a movie. There's a soundtrack, there's toys. Um, What do you think? Dash Rindar's foray into the EU, Shadows of the Empire. Is it a LucasArts game or not? Uh, actually, I'm going to I'm gonna uh, say I guessed on that last one because this was the game I was thinking of uh, <laughs> on that last one. I really think this is the LucasArts because of how tied in it was. Um, you know, I just remember it was not Shadows of the Empire. No, Shadows of the Empire was Dash. Okay, yeah, that's why I was getting lost there for a second. The whole uh, Kyle and Dash disconnect. Yes, yeah, so... When it came to this one, I want to say 100% this was a George Lucas, Lucas Arts baby because of the way it tied in. Uh, you know, if I find out opposite, that's going to be a, a blow to my heart because to me, this was that whole 90s. We're getting that EU built together. We're making that one continuity. This is when the lie started to take shape. Where everybody thought, you know, hey, look at this project. It all does fit. It all does tie in. Lucas cares. Well, this one turns out, yes, it is a LucasArts-developed game. The interesting part is, though, that it was published and put out, at least that version of it, through Nintendo. So it's one of those few times where we actually see a game developed within LucasArts but then published through someone else. That's part of what Nintendo's old uh, business model tended to be. They wanted to be essentially the publisher of the games and take their cut as games were being released. That's why you need the Nintendo seal of quality, etc., etc., to be able to put one out. But yeah, that one actually was a LucasArts game, and there's a great book out there, Secrets of Shadows of the Empire by Mark Cotavaz, that has some cool behind-the-scenes stuff with that. It's a really fun thing. It's why I was actually excited for, I think, the very next thing we were supposed to record for the Star Wars Action News Book Club was Shadows of the Empire. And then we just kind of stopped because we realized we had, like, you know, years' worth 
of recorded material that hadn't been released yet. I'm hoping that those will finally get out there someday. Now, really quick, with the whole aspect of Nintendo doing it, was that also from Nintendo's aspect of keeping other gaming systems like Sega from getting the title? Because, you know, with the Rogue Squadron games especially, Nintendo has had a lockdown on those. Um, and, and that's something that's always bothered me. I understand that the, the marketing aspect behind the gaming industry is why they want to have, you know, a monopoly on certain games. But I have always couldn't stand the fact that you can only play certain games on certain consoles. Well, that's one of those things that you see, like, especially today. There's basically, if you if you take sort of a gaming parlance kind of phrase to it, there's first-party, second-party, and third-party games. First-party games are going to be games that are created actually by or produced or published or whatever by the console makers. And usually those are the ones that are considered exclusive. So that stuff these days, like with Sony, it's stuff like God of War and things like Uncharted or The Last of Us that go through Naughty Dog that are exclusive to Sony platforms and whatnot. Then you've got your third-party developers, and your third-party developers are producing games usually for multi-platform sales. They can be played on just about anything because they create a game, usually figuring out what the lowest specs are necessary for one of the game systems, producing it for that, and then stretching it by creating ports of that same code to the other gaming systems. Um, so that's where you get stuff like, you know, Call of Duty can be played on everything for instance. Um, and then you have second-party developers. or at least, and, and I don't think second-party is actually an official term. I think it's just sort of a gaming parlance type of term. And it's essentially the companies that they could produce for whoever they wanted to. But they wind up taking an exclusive contract with a first-party company like Microsoft or Sony or Nintendo and agree to produce games specifically for those systems. And it's not just Star Wars stuff. I mean, you take... For a long time there, there was this agreement going on with Capcom where there, I think there's supposed to be four exclusive uh, Resident Evil titles produced just for the GameCube or for Nintendo platforms for a while that eventually wound up seeing those released on other systems. Um, you have what are referred to as limited or timed exclusives where, okay, this game is only available for this system for now. Eventually, it will be released otherwise. They do that a lot with downloadable content now. Microsoft, for instance, makes special deals with the producers of Call of Duty so that certain downloadable maps and multiplayer modes and stuff like that will be available only on Microsoft's Xbox 360 up until X amount of months after release, and then PlayStation 3, for instance, can get it. Um, there's a lot of different ways to approach the business model. But yeah, Nintendo is one of the ones that are probably the most specific in their use over the years of trying to keep things sort of either in-house or have to at least funnel them through Nintendo to give Nintendo that level of control. That's why you see, um, back for the original Nintendo Entertainment System, there are some rare, somewhat sought-after bootleg games basically out there that were produced outside of getting the licensing through Nintendo that look a little different, they act a little different. Uh, one of the most famous of those being a... And, a, an unlicensed version of Tetris, for instance, that's out there. So there's the regular Tetris, and there's the unlicensed one out there um, that Nintendo doesn't get a cut of that they, in the past, have tried to take legal action to try to stop years ago. Uh, it See, really I've, just depends seen, on the situation. I've seen similar with that when it comes to, like, uh, Street Fighter. I've seen, like, there's, like, 13 versions of Street Fighter 2 out there. I'm like, what is this? I've never seen these before. Well, with that, it's a question of the iterations. I mean, you've got... Just taking Street Fighter 2, you got Street Fighter 2, Street Fighter 2 Champion Edition, Street Fighter 2 Turbo, Super Street Fighter 2, Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo, Hyper Street Fighter 2 Turbo, and then we have um, 
the Super, alphas. What do they call it? Well, just just for Street Fighter Two though, you have Super Street Fighter Two Turbo HD Remix that came out. Um, <laughs> but in that case, what they did was, um, most of the later editions could be played on whatever, but they had a an exclusive deal with how do they put out uh, whatever comes after the original Street Fighter Two, because there was Turbo and there was Champion Edition that are relatively similar except for a couple of moves and speed changes and whatnot. And in that case, the Sega system, the Genesis, got what was called Special Champion Edition, which was basically Turbo. But Super Nintendo got the one that could actually call it Street Fighter II Turbo Hyper Fighting. Um, it's sort of one of these things where you make the best deal that can get you the most profit, of course, it can help your company and the shareholders and whatnot, but... That is where you get a lot of frustration. I mean, I'm someone who just, I guess because I have a tendency to buy things spread apart, use a lot of store credit at GameStop and whatnot, and I'll save money and I don't really spend on lavish stuff. I've got all the platforms right now. I've got the uh, PlayStation 3 that's my main platform, Xbox 360 that I really only use for exclusives like Alan Wake and Connect Star Wars. Then I've got the Wii U that right now is basically a zombie U machine only at this point. Um, and then I've got the PSP Go, the PlayStation Vita, which I've played quite a bit on, um, the 3DS, which basically right now is just a Super Street Fighter 4 um, uh, 3D edition box for me, pretty much. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're getting to a point where for a lot of big name games, especially as the systems have different features on them, you end up finding that, yeah, you wind up needing to purchase different systems to play all the games you might want in a specific franchise, especially something like Star Wars that can go in a lot of different directions. We'll get to some of the exclusive here as we move along. Fortunately, I'm hoping that with Disney being the one over it, maybe they won't make as many exclusive deals at this point. But, I mean, who knows at this point? We, we have no idea what they're going to do. True that. All right, so moving us into, I believe it's 1997... Um, yep. We have quite a few re-releases. already mentioned the stuff like TIE Fighter, which now has its collector's CD-ROM being released on multiple systems. This is the year of the Macintosh CD, etc., etc. But uh, three unique games coming out in 1997. We have one that is sort of the dark horse. I gotta say, this is a favorite of mine because of how bad it is, and I hunted it down to get it and its strategy guide years ago. Star Wars... Masters of Terrace Kasi, the Star Wars fighting game for PlayStation yeah. 1. Is I still this, have to find it. Is it a LucasArts game? Is it a LucasArts game? I want to say no. I, I just... It, it seems so out there and odd, but there's a part of me that goes, it's probably going to be a yes, but I want to say no. I want to say it was a different style, it was a different direction, uh, it was something they were experimenting with. Well, it may be awful, but it is LucasArts. Masters of Terrace Kasi is one of really? theirs. Uh, speaking of bad games of 97, uh, Star Wars Yoda Stories for the PC, which is essentially a fetch quest kind of game where you played as Luke running little odd jobs for Yoda on Dagobah from, from kind of a, an overhead isometric quasi-Legend of Zelda type of point of view. Uh, LucasArts <laughs> or no? Uh, it was a Zelda, a Zelda type theme on it, and it's for PC Windows. Oh man, I want to say yes. It just seems so cheesy that it's got to be. 
it is it is so two <laughs> two kind of <laughs> games in 97 at least according to their uh, uh, resume here uh, they were LucasArts games, but I'm not sure how much they should want to broadcast that. Also in this year, though, we got one of the shining examples of Star Wars games for the PC, uh, one that actually used casting and uh, full-motion video, real video, live-action type clips in it, and that, of course, was the game-changer Jedi Knight Dark Forces 2, which introduced Jarek and some other Dark Jedi, the Valley of the Jedi, the Battle of Rusan into the Star Wars uh, expanded universe. What do you say? Jedi Knight Dark Forces 2. Is it LucasArts as a developer? I want to say because it's a sequel and they added the Jedi Knight in front of it, that this is one where LucasArts has their hand on it, but they're not the ones doing the developing. Believe it or not, this is LucasArts through and through. They were the ones who developed it and published it uh, right alongside the previous one. So this turned out to be one of their big successes. Uh, of their time as a Star Wars game publisher. Wow. Now, before we move out of this one, I, I'm noticing we've got uh, the TIE Fighter collection, which is the Macintosh collection, but there is X-Wing versus TIE Fighter, but also X-Wing versus TIE Fighter Balance of Power. Is that two separate games, or is one an expansion pack to the other? The regular X-Wing versus TIE Fighter. And again, it's a, t- okay. a totally games-developed one. Aha. See, I've never played that one. Um, I, I have no idea if it's good, bad, happy, or sad. It was one of those ones where I wanted to get it. But at that point, I was I was in the same boat as you. At that point, I've decided that I'm going to step away from computer gaming because every time I buy a game, it tells me I can't play it, and it's driving me up a wall. Uh, so that was when I stepped away from that because it was like, okay, I'm done with this. I'm not going to sit here and continue to upgrade my computer every six months. Amen. That brings us into 1998. Which brings us, uh, we saw the X-Wing Collector series, so of course that's one that we've already seen before with Totally Games and all, but this was kind of a big year. We had Jedi Knight Mysteries of the Sith, we had Star Wars Rebellion, uh, the kind of real-time strategy conquer the world, or conquer the, conquer the galaxy, excuse me, type of thing. We had Star Wars Behind the Magic, which was a cool sort of behind-the-scenes thing that I, I wish would still run, because it had an awesome annotated read through the script of the films, and see annotated images to go with each item. Uh, And this was the year of Star Wars Rogue Squadron. Being released for the Nintendo 64, which actually, if you wanted to play the full version of it and not have it be crapped out on, you have to get that expansion pack of memory to stick into your Nintendo 64 to be able to play it. I actually got this as a gift one year. I got that immediately. (laughs) Um, So... We got Mistress of the Sith, Rebellion, and Rogue Squadron. Uh, which, if any, would you say are probably ones actually developed directly by LucasArts out of those three? I would say Rogue Squadron, Behind the Magic for sure. Uh, Rebellion, I don't remember hearing of that one. So I'm going to say it probably not. Mysteries of the Sith, while being a Jedi Knight, this is like one of those weird ones because it's like a continuation of Jedi Knight, which was a number two. Uh, that's one that I still haven't got. It's the only game we can play as Mara Jade, as far as I'm aware, aside from, like, uh, in, uh, The Force Unleashed, that you can play Mara as a, as a dual-player character in the Versus mode, but I think this is the only time you're able to play her as a full-on character. Um, so I'm gonna say that that's probably a LucasArts had their hand on it somewhere, somehow. Not sure if they were the producers or the ones driving it. I wanna say probably the producers. Alright, well, of these, Jedi Knight Mysteries of the Sith... Still within the Jedi Knight and Dark Forces uh, kind of production line here. 
That is LucasArts through and through, both developing hey. and publishing. Uh, Star Wars Behind the Magic, also all LucasArts, which was, I, I really love that. I wish that it would still work, as I said. Um, but Rogue Squadron Rebellion, not LucasArts. Uh, X-Wing Rogue Squadron was made by Factor 5, which is a company that was among those that was closed in 2009. And Rebellion, the one that had you essentially using strategy to conquer the galaxy, kind of like Star Wars Risk in a sense, um, that was by Cool Hand Interactive and appears to be, from everything I've researched, like the only game they ever put out. I never found anything else released by Cool Hand Interactive. So neither of those two were LucasArts. And I was kind of shocked. I mean, I guess I should remember Factor 5 from back in the day and how big it was with Rogue Squadron, but I was, I was shocked to be reminded that it was Factor 5 and not LucasArts themselves behind the Rogue Squadron game, because I loved that series. Well, that makes me curious as we go up through the years if it's the whole Rogue Squadron franchise, because, yeah, Rogue Squadron is one that people are still clamoring for more. On other consoles especially. That's one that people would love to see step away from the Nintendo platform. Well, to speed us along, if I may, let's address that question. Rogue Squadron 2, Rogue Leader, Rogue Squadron 3, Rebel Strike, and the quasi-Rogue Squadron game that played the same for the uh, Nintendo 64, but was actually called Battle for Naboo, and took place around the time of the Phantom Menace. All of those, same series, same developer. It's all Factor 5. Really? Wow. Ah, take that. Ooh. I mean, that's that's one of those that I think a lot of us out there misconceive quite a bit. I, I'm very curious as we get closer to the last 10 years how many more of these are like that. Because that one, I really, truly thought that was going to be a LucasArts. Which I think gives us hope that we can have great Star Wars games without needing LucasArts to be there as a developer. That's the point of this, really, for most of us out there. I mean, I think, I think most of... The Beyonders out there in my position here have a limited idea of these games, but really no idea about the behind-the-scenes thing. This is very eye-opening. It's also probably going to be one of our longer episodes, I'm sure, but an interesting one, <laughs> I hope, to everyone out there. All right, we're moving to 1999, of course, the year of The Phantom Menace, and there's tons of stuff being released for that, uh, and in 2000, and in 2001, all kind of tying back into The Phantom Menace. 99, at least according to LucasArts' own resume, is the year of Episode 1, Insider's Guide. Episode 1, The Phantom Menace for PC and for PlayStation. Episode 1, Racer, the cool pod racing game for Windows and for the Nintendo 64. And then, of course, X-Wing Alliance, which we already know is totally games because it's part of the X-Wing franchise already mentioned. So out of the Insider's Guide, which is kind of like Behind the Magic, but for Episode 1, and The Phantom Menace's own game adaptation, and Racer. Of those three, what do you think? Which ones are LucasArts themselves? Man, I really want to go on a limb and say all three of them are LucasArts. But that's mainly because I'm seeing episode one on all of them. <laughs> um, I would think... <sighs> I'm trying to be educated with this. The Insider's Guide, I would hope that it was really brought to you by an insider. So we're going to go with that one in The Phantom Menace. We're going to say The Racer was probably someone else. And I really liked that game. That was fun. Well, Insider's Guide is LucasArts through and through. So actually is Racer. At least this Racer. The second really? one's not. But this one actually was internally developed by LucasArts. And then you got The Phantom Menace. And The Phantom Menace, a crap game adaptation of a movie, which happens way too often, produced by Big Ape Productions, whose last uh, produced game was back in 2003. So that one... Not LucasArts, and I'm kind of saying, hey, see, some of the crap ones, it's not LucasArts, which is good. 
Then we have the year 2000, continuing in a lot of the stuff tying into Episode 1. We saw Episode 1 Racer get re-released for different platforms that year, uh, Dreamcast and the Power Mac for Apple systems. And then we get several new ones, four new ones. We have Star Wars Demolition, the crazy demolition derby with the big head characters and such. Uh, we have Episode 1 Battle for Naboo, already mentioned, being released for Nintendo 64. We already know that's Factor 5. We have Force Commander, one of those uh, real-time strategy computer games. And we have Jedi Power Battles, released for PlayStation and Dreamcast. So, of uh, Demolition, Force Commander, and Jedi Power Battles. What do you think? Any, well, all, some? Well, real quick, uh, Star Wars Demolitions, that one actually didn't have the big heads. That one was more like Twisted Metal. Uh, you're thinking of another one that's kind of like Mario Kart. I believe it's coming a year later. But that was a fun oh, game for what it was. Oh, Bombad Racing, aren't I? Yeah, yeah. But it was a fun game for what it was. Uh, I want to say, though, because it had that Twisted Metal feel that that one is not a LucasArts. Uh, Battle for Naboo, you pretty much already told me that one's a Rogue Squadron. Force Commander, that one had the feel of uh, one of those real-time strategies. I'm going to say that one probably is not Jedi Power Battles. I love that game. It was hard as heck. I don't think I ever got past the second level <laughs> still to this day. Uh, it was just that hard. Uh, and so I, I'm going to go on a fence here and say that that one is a, is a Lucas as well. The Racer... Uh, you said that one was, so I, I'm surprised there. But, yeah, that's what we're going to go with and stick with. All right, well, you're right. Jedi Power Battles is LucasArts. Demolition is not. Demolition was by, uh, uh, was it Luxoflux or Luxoflux Incorporated, uh, picked up by uh-huh. Activision in 2002 and closed in 2010. And Force Commander was by Ronin Entertainment. They were the ones who actually developed it once they wanted to go with the idea of a 3D landscape as opposed to 2D. For that one. Uh, I actually never picked up much in the way of the games, I guess, in 2000 at the time. That brings us into 2001, a big similar year in American history, certainly. This is the year that we got Star Wars Starfighter, introducing Nim and such, that eventually got the Starfighter Crossbones comic book and whatnot, and a story in Star Wars Tales. We got uh, Rogue Leader, already mentioned from Factor 5. We got Starfighter Special Edition, eventually, that goes for the Xbox. It was originally released for PlayStation 2, and then Special Edition version went for the Xbox. This was also the year of Galactic Battlegrounds, another real-time strategy-type game, and Star Wars Obi-Wan for the Xbox, with that weird midget-looking Obi-Wan where he looked like a I'm kid not sure. most of the time. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> That's all I remember that oh, game. <laughs> Alright, so uh, so for a Starfinder, Galactic Battlegrounds, and Obi-Wan, uh, how about it? LucasArts for any of those? Well, let's see. Battle for Naboo, you already you said that one. Rogue Squadron 2, I didn't actually play that one, but you said that one also is. Galactic Battlegrounds, I'm going to say, is them, because I don't remember any of the other real-time ones. I mean, vaguely, I remember seeing Force Commander, the music for it showing up somewhere, but I don't remember any advertising for those. So I'm going to say, because I do with Galactic Battlegrounds 1 and 2, that that was probably the LucasArts. Um, the Starfighter... I want to say yeah, mainly because we got a special edition later that came out with it. And I want to say yes for Obi-Wan, because even though it was a little weird at times, that was a fun game. And I really want to say that, you know, I had a lot of fun with LucasArts. And I think this is a problem that most fandom is having. It's like, you see that LucasArts title on the box, and you're like, I had a lot of fun. It's a LucasArts game. I don't care what you say. But the reality is the reality. Well, of those, Obi-Wan is LucasArts developed. 
Starfighter, also LucasArts developed. The one that's not is Galactic Battlegrounds. Galactic Battlegrounds was developed by Ensemble Studios, which eventually got picked up by Microsoft in 2001 and disbanded in 2009, I believe. Was it 2008 or 2009? Interesting. That brings us to 2002. Uh, the new entries in 2002, we had Star Wars Racer Revenge, which is basically a sequel to Racer, Episode One Racer. We had Jedi Starfighter, a sequel to Starfighter, focusing on the new Jedi Starfighter on a sort of a trial run type thing, which connects Star Wars all kind of blew all to hell. Um, we have Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast, and we have Bounty Hunter, the one focused on Jango Fett, and we have the game called Star Wars The Clone Wars, the one that was basically vehicle-based combat. So, Starfighter, Racer Revenge, Jedi Starfighter, Jedi Outcast, Bounty Hunter, and Clone Wars. That's a lot of them, so let's hit these uh, kind of one by one quickly. Um, what do you think, uh, Racer Revenge? Racer Revenge, I want to say that is a yes, because uh, we're at the sequel, and I'm actually just cheating a little bit because you said the second one was. Uh, Jedi Starfighter, that was just as fun as the first one. I'm going to say yes there as well. Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast, throws me off because I keep wanting to say Jedi Knight Mysteries of the Sith was the second one, but we'll say yes on that one. Galactic Battlegrounds, I'm going to say no. Bounty Hunter is going to be a tough one because I want to say yes, but I'm going to say no. And the Clone Wars, correct me really fast here, is that the one that came with the uh, uh, Tetris on the back of it on most copies? I don't recall. Mine didn't, but uh, this is the one where you were like uh, uh, playing as vehicles most of the time, like your final battle. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's that one. On mine, mine, it came, I had a dual pack, so it came with two games in one, and that was that one. I'm going to say, yes, that one is, but I'm, I'm betting it's probably not, but I'm, I'm going to say yes. All right, shooting down that year, Racer Revenge is, is the second one that's not. Racer was. Racer Revenge is actually by Rainbow Studios, oh. which uh, was part of THQ until THQ died basically last year in uh, 2012. Jedi Starfighter, just like the original Starfighter, is a LucasArts-developed game. Jedi Outcast is the first of the Jedi Knight slash Dark Forces games to not be developed by LucasArts. That was a Raven Software game. Uh, Galactic Battlegrounds clone campaigns just like the other Galactic Battlegrounds by Ensemble Studios. Bounty Hunter, internal LucasArts. But then the Clone Wars with the vehicles and such was actually by Pandemic, uh, which we will find is also the company behind Battlefront, uh, Pandemic was closed in 2009 by EA. That EA me... Sports, we killed the game. Exactly. Uh, getting us into then, they were actually uh, the ones that were, and, and this probably isn't deserved, and it is a great example of why this is totally not deserved, but people got angry about things like the ending of Mass Effect 3, and gamers en masse voted EA as the worst company in the world, or in America, or whatever it was uh, last year. Not, no. No, they don't treat their employees like crap, so I don't see how that works. But yeah, they've taken a lot of crap over the last year or so, especially. They haven't done uh, a lot of great stuff recently. Um, So, moving into 2003, we have Star Wars Galaxies launching, the MMO for the PC. This is also the year of Rogue Squadron 3 Rebel Strike, which we already know is Factor 5, as with the rest of that series. We have Jedi Knight, Jedi Academy, the last in that series, and... Knights of the Old Republic. What do you think? 
Well, let's see. I would say Galaxies is probably going to be a yes, because I remember that one being uh, marketed up the wazoo. We do have one tie-in book. Uh, we have fates of certain characters like HK-47 being resolved in that one as well. So I'm going to say yes with that one. Uh, the KOTOR, as much as I want to say yes, I want to say no, because I, I want to say that I've heard multiple times that that one was not. Uh, Jedi Knight Jedi Academy, while a fun game in and of itself... That's going to be a tough one because it's got a lot of the elements that I recall being in the other games, but the last one wasn't part of that one. So what are the odds? I'm going to say yes, that they went back to being LucasArts on this one. I'm probably going to be wrong. All right. For 2003, Galaxies is Sony Online Entertainment. S-O-E. And all of their expansions, of course, are also the same company there. Knights of the Old Republic, that is BioWare. Helped make a huge name for BioWare at the time. Jedi Academy is Raven Software, same company that did Jedi Outcast. So the first few of the Dark Horses stuff, or the Dark Horses, Dark Forces stuff, was uh, LucasArts, but then once you get to Jedi Outcast and Jedi Academy, they're both being produced by Raven out there. That brings us into 2004 with Star Wars Battlefront 1, and uh, all of the console Battlefronts. So Battlefront 1 and Battlefront 2 are from the same... Uh, stock, so we can kind of hit those all at once. And uh, we have more added to Star Wars Galaxies. We already know that's Sony Online Entertainment. We also have Knights of the Old Republic 2, The Sith Lords. Okay, well, I'm just going to flat out say uh, the Battlefronts, I, I'm pretty sure I know they are not, and that's one that I think everybody thinks is LucasArts. Uh, you know, we know about the Galaxies. KOTOR, I'm going to say that that was also Bioware. Um, I, I, well, no. Yes, no, no, yes. It oh, good. That one's gonna be tough because I want to say that while it may still be Bioware, I'm, I'm not sure here. I'm kind of going on a stretch. I know that there was different developers behind it because Carpetian didn't have as much to do with this one at all, if anything. So I want to say that that one is also not part of Lucas Arts, but it's no longer Bioware. And you're right. Star Wars Battlefront is Pandemic, the ones who did uh, The Clone Wars, again, closed in 2009 by EA, and Knights of the Old Republic 2, The Sith Lords, a lot of controversy about the speed with which they had to put it out and certain content being missing, etc., etc. That was Obsidian Entertainment. So uh, we have Bioware for number one, Obsidian picking up number two for that particular franchise there. Getting into 2005, Year of Revenge of the Sith, we have quite a few. We have a Lego Star Wars the video game, which is not listed on their resume, but this is when it pops up. We uh-huh. have a Republic Commando. We have the Episode 3 Revenge of the Sith game, where you could play as Obi-Wan or Anakin, and they had that alternate ending where Anakin could kill Sidious and such and become that the was new cool. Emperor. And of course, we have Battlefront 2. I already mentioned that that's Pandemic and a lot of new Galaxies stuff. So, of uh, Lego Star Wars the video game, Republic Commando, and the Revenge of the Sith game, those three, which ones would you say are LucasArts, if any? You're either muted or not talking. Well, let's see here. If I had to guess with Republic Commando, I'm going to say it is. Uh, and I'm only going on that guess because of the fact that Sev, while disappearing in that game, Karen Travis could not write his fate. Uh, I'm going to say Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. That was a fun game, I on that. Uh, I'm going to say that one wasn't, and I don't really have any 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 reason for that. I'm just going on a guess. Uh, a lot of Galaxies uh, 
expansions there, which we already know about, and Battlefront 2 we already know about. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with those. Lego Star Wars the video game, the one they don't list? Oh, Legos. Yeah, Lego Star Wars the video game. I'm going to say that that is a yes, although they may have done a no on the first one and yes the others, but I want to say that that one seems like it's an in-house because they're advertising it a lot. But that, I guess, is the point of this. We don't really know based on advertisement. Well, in this case, we have uh, Revenge of the Sith is by The Collective Incorporated. So that one is not an in-house development there, although it was a pretty decent game, kind of maligned, but fun game. Republic Commando, you're right, is an internal LucasArts-developed game, which uh, gave me a lot of hope for First Assault, and then First Assault is now, thanks to the, uh, the Disney buyout and such. And all of the LEGO Star Wars games, whether we're talking LEGO Star Wars the video game, LEGO Star Wars 2 the original trilogy, LEGO Star Wars the complete saga, or LEGO Star Wars 3 the Clone Wars, every single one of those by Traveler's Tales, the company that is behind all of the uh, LEGO video games of different franchises right now. They're kind of LEGO's uh, Uh go-to group when it comes to developing video games. That brings us into 2006, which as far as new content really just gives us uh, Star Wars Empire at War and its expansion, Forces of Corruption, another real-time strategy game. Oh, so that wasn't part of Galaxies. I always thought that that was an expansion to Galaxies. That was its own game, huh? No, Empire at War was its own game, uh, and Empire Divided was the subtitle of the original Galaxies release. They just wow. sound similar. See, and, and they did such a bad job with that. I always assumed Empire at War was the same game, and I didn't even bother with it. Huh. Wow. I would say no on that one. I don't think it is. Right. That one was by Petroglyph out there. So pretty much all the RTS stuff, it is not LucasArts themselves. This brings us into 2007, another Lego Star Wars, but we already know those are Traveler's Tales. We have here the first of the portable Battlefront games. Battlefront Renegade Squadron that was exclusive to the PlayStation Portable. Uh, We know the regular Battlefront games were all by Pandemic. What about this one? Well, I want to say something went odd there that this game and the uh, other one that follows it that should have been Battlefront 3 didn't make it as a regular console. So I'm going to say that somewhere along the line, someone lost uh, control of something. That's right. It is not uh, Pandemic in this case. It's also still not LucasArts. Uh, Battlefront Renegade Squadron and Battlefront Elite Squadron for the PSP uh, were both developed by Rebellion Games. Interesting. Would not have known that one coming in. 2008 brought us, of course, uh, some huge, huge name games out there. Uh, A couple of smaller name ones, but one gigantic one. The smaller names, Star Wars The Clone Wars Jedi Alliance for the Nintendo DS. Star Wars The Clone Wars Lightsaber Duels for the Nintendo Wii. Those are both exclusives. And then Star Wars The Force Unleashed. And The Force Unleashed is kind of a special circumstance because you had the so-called next-gen console version for the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360. You had another version for essentially the Wii, PlayStation 2, and PSP, and then yet another version for the Nintendo DS, and yet another couple of versions for mobile devices for that one. So um, let's hit the, the two Clone Wars ones, and then we'll have to hit the Force Unleashed kind of bit by bit here. What do you think for Jedi Alliance and lightsaber duels? Well, if I was to go on a limb with these, Jedi Alliance, 
Jedi Alliance. Oh, Jedi Alliance, you. I want to say no. That one, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of came out of nowhere. I remember seeing a couple previews for it here and there, but it didn't seem like it was advertised that much. Lightsaber Duels, on the other hand, was advertised a lot more, but I think that's mainly because it was one of their first goes on the Wii and really uh, tackling the lightsaber technology. So I'm going to say no on that one as well. Um, Force Unleashed is a little difficult, though. I... Well, you're right. neither of those are Lucas Arts. Uh, Lightsaber Duels was Chrome Studios, which is again, as I mentioned earlier, it's it's not really around anymore. I mean, I, technically, it's around, but they laid off a ton of people back in 2010, and they barely exist anymore. And Jedi Alliance, this is an odd one. Jedi Alliance was not created by Lucas Arts. Jedi Alliance is credited to Lucasfilm Animation Singapore. That's who gets the credit both in the game, on the cover, and elsewhere. So you have uh-huh. one that's developed by a Lucas company, but not by Lucas Arts per se. That's kind of the weird one uh, amongst many of our games that we're looking at here. Now, the Force Unleashed. Let's get these bit by bit. What do you think for the next-gen system one, the one we think of when we tend to think of the Force Unleashed? Now, with that, we are mainly just talking the Wii, PlayStation 2, and Xbox 360, right? Uh, no, if we're talking next-gen, we're talking PlayStation 3, and Xbox 360, the, the, the one, Wii. the ones where they look uh, a more cl- closer to photorealistic. You have the Havoc physics engine and all that type of stuff. See, I, I was, I was lied to by the Wii. I went with the Wii, thinking that the Wii was going to have all that cool motions and stuff, and then I was looking at it, going, "Man, this is not as cool as it should be." But it was fun. Uh, now, for the Xbox and the PlayStation 3, I want to say that, yeah, I, I want to say yeah. I want to say yes. I'm going to commit to that want. And that is correct. Both of those uh, versions, that next-gen version, as they called it at the time, those are LucasArts internally developed. Uh, what about the PlayStation 2, Wii, and PSP version? we got to say that the uh, PSP version had some exclusive content. The Wii version had some exclusive content with its dual mode and whatnot. PlayStation 2, not so much. No exclusive content. But the core game, the graphics, uh, uh, the gameplay, the levels, the bosses, the design, and all that kind of stuff... Um, those three were all developed uh, in tandem with each other. So what do you think about that sort of, I mean, I would call it last gen at the mm-hmm. time, but the Wii was the newest Nintendo console. It just had essentially the same interior guts mostly as what we had for the GameCube of the previous generation. What about that one? Yeah, I, I, well, see, I also remember the Wii had a, a different level on Dagobah where you go through the cave that was unique to it as well. Um, I want to say you're, it- you're thinking the Force Unleashed 2 again, dude. Am I? Man, oh, the, man. It's been, it's the, been a the, while since I played the first one. The Force Unleashed 1 had the levels inside the Jedi Temple. Oh, yeah. Those were fun, too. I, I want to go on a limb and say, you know, if they did the first one, they, they should have done the second one, but I think I'm about to be educated. Well, the PS2, Wii, and PSP version of the Force Unleashed 1, all by the same studio that did Lightsaber Duels, all by Chrome Studios, not Arts themselves. Um then, of course, we had the Nintendo DS version where you had that cool thing where you could use the touchpad to link together certain attacks to essentially make combos and whatnot. It was an interesting way of playing it, but certainly developed differently than the other ones at the time. Uh, what do you think for the Nintendo DS version of The Force Unleashed? The first one. Well, I'm going to have to say it was not, I mean, at this point. it's That's weird that, that two companies would produce the exact same game. That just boggles my mind. Well, we're going to add another into the mix because the DS version was made by InSpace. Whoa! Uh, Then we have the uh, iOS version for Apple devices that is no longer available out there. Um, 
and we have the one made for other mobile phones that are essentially similar in that whether you're using your keypad on the phone or you're using the touch on the device, uh, you essentially, to carry out attacks, have a symbol you're supposed to create. You make that symbol and Starkiller will attack. So the mobile version of the Force Unleashed one, uh, LucasArts or otherwise? Well, at this point, I'm going to say no. And you're right. Those were made by THQ that eventually lost a Star Wars license for mobile games and then they themselves went under last year. So for wow. the Force yeah. Unleashed one, you had four different companies <laughs> working on that game, all wow. creating slightly different versions following the same general storyline. Now, I wonder why they would do that, though. I mean, do you think that's like each company has a different background into the gaming systems technology and therefore they went with that one for that specific system i mean that to me seems like the only logical reason why you would do that typically you want to do more with less not less with more well i think the issue here is that we unlike with the ps2 xbox and gamecube era we're finally reaching a point where there is a significant difference between what the three leading consoles were at the time the wii simply cannot do what the PS3 and the Xbox 360 can do. Just like right now, the Wii U has now caught up to PS3 and Xbox 360, and we're about to see the PS4 and whatever the next Xbox is going to be called. <laughs> um, Nintendo is going to be a generation or half a generation behind yet again. So it's the same kind of a thing. Plus the fact that, you know, the DS, of course, is a whole different beast. Touch screens on mobile devices, a whole different beast. So, I mean, I could see why they would farm it out like that, but I do recall a lot of frustration over just how different the games were. Actually, the reason why I bought a PlayStation 3 was to play the quote-unquote real version of The Force Unleashed. Uh, once I realized that the pre-ordered uh, Wii version that I had ordered was not going to be the same game, the same looks, the same physics, etc., etc., that annoyed the living crap out of me at the time. Yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that, that the Wii's version was fun to play, I'd have been royally ticked off, because I bought the Wii for that. That brings us into 2009, uh, with... Now, we've already talked about Battlefront Elite Squadron being like uh, Renegade Squadron, and on the PSP being by Rebellion. Uh, Elite Squadron did have a Nintendo DS version that was different, so we'll have that one for this year. Plus, we have the Star Wars The Clone Wars Republic Heroes game which was mostly the same across the uh, home consoles and the PSP, but had a different version, sort of a prequel to the other versions of Republic Heroes that was produced for the Nintendo DS. So we have Elite Squadron for DS, Republic Heroes for DS, and Republic Heroes for all the other systems for 2009. How about those? I'm going to say 2009 LucasArts had nothing but a title on the box. And that's pretty much true. Uh, Elite Squadron for the Nintendo DS was in space, the same company that did The Force Unleashed for the DS. And Republic Heroes, the main version you'll find on the 360, the PS3, the PS2, the PSP, uh, the PC. Those are all Chrome Studios who did lightsaber duels and the uh, Wii, PS2, and PSP versions of The Force Unleashed. And the Nintendo DS version by the same people who did Jedi Alliance for the DS, Lucasfilm Animation, Singapore. So bizarre for them wow. to do it that way. Well, it, it, that also gives you that feel. Because, I, I mean, a lot of people were like, finally, LucasArts has been taking off a life of support. And this this kind of makes it seem that way. I don't know why I went out to Alien, but here I am. Uh, 2009 was a year where for LucasArts, I mean, they didn't do anything. They let a bunch of other people do it. So I could see how, you know, if we go into 2010, if that's a trend that continues, I could see why people were like, okay, yay, LucasArts has finally had the plug pulled. I mean, 
a pitch is starting to take shape here. Which brings us into 2010, and 2010 basically had two big releases. We had the Clone Wars Adventures, the uh, kind of younger player MMO, the online game, and we have The Force Unleashed 2. And again, with The Force Unleashed, um, or at least the second The Force Unleashed, we have one version for the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3, another version for the Wii, and another version for the Nintendo DS. So we need to hit The Force Unleashed 2 from three different angles here, along with the Clone Wars Adventures MMO for PC. Well, let's see. Force Unleashed 2, I want to say the 360 and the PlayStation 3 was a yes. The others were probably a no, just because that seems to be the trend that they're doing from the business side of things. Um, I want to say the online one, the uh, Clone Wars Adventures, I want to say that that's a yes, but it's probably going to be a no because I, I want to say that I want to say there was another logo I saw when that game came up, but I'm drawing a blank as to what it is, so I'm going to commit to the yes on that. With the Force Unleashed 2 for the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3, it is LucasArts. They continued uh, their same development that they did back with the original The Force Unleashed. However, the Wii version was jumped away from Chrome Studios because it was considered such a lackluster release for the first one. And it went to Redfly, and Redfly had expertise specifically on the Wii, which made for a really good The Force Unleashed 2 on the Wii. And we have the DS version, which appears to have actually been in-house developed by LucasArts. Whoa. One of the few times they actually per personally developed a DS game rather than just publishing the thing and getting it out there once somebody else has actually created the game code and whatnot. As, the curveball. Yep. As for the Clone Wars Adventures... Same people who did Star Wars Galaxies. Sony Online Entertainment. S-O-E. I, I thought I saw another logo, I just couldn't place it. Oh, I thought I saw another logo, I just couldn't place it. Oh. But yeah, that, that, that definitely, uh, you know, you have the little ray of light there with the Force Unleashed too. But I can see now why, when it comes to the Force Unleashed, I have heard it both ways. That, of course, brings us into 2011, or 2011. The big release of 2011, of course, was Star Wars The Old Republic. Oh, The Old Republic. I'm going to say that's a Bioware game still, uh, at least I want to say. And then we already know about Lego's The Clone Wars Volume 3, so that one's a done deal. So yeah, another not good year for LucasArts. Wow. That's right. The Old Republic is Bioware. Uh, Lego Star Wars 3, The Clone Wars is Traveler's Tales. No new LucasArts uh, development there, just LucasArts as the publisher yet again here. And that brings us into another, woo, yeesh, kind of year, which was 2012. Last year, where the two major Star Wars releases of the year were Angry Birds Star Wars. And I know we've left <laughs> out a lot of the mobile games, but that was a huge release, so it, it does bear mentioning here. Angry Birds Star Wars and Connect Star Wars. What do you think for those two major, at one successful, one not so much releases of 2012? Mm. Although I like Connect Star Wars, I, I I find it fun. I have yet to play it. It does look like fun. Um, you know, I'm I'm grown up enough to not let I'm Han Solo, I'm Han Solo ruin the game for me. Again, I haven't played it, but that was enough to make me worry. That's one of the most fun songs on there. I, I, I would it. think so. I mean, it just that seems it just seems like too much good fun. It, that, to and, me, that game reminded me of uh, Mario Party. I love that one, and I love um, there's actually like it better than the original because I've only heard the original once or twice. There is a song, I want to say it's called Naturally by 
I don't know, one of those girls I always tend to think of, she must have come from Disney or something, um, <laughs> which, which would be ironic. Uh, that's redone as like the Jedi feeling the Force because it comes naturally, et cetera, et cetera. There's some pretty <laughs> cool Star Wars versions of songs if you're willing to realize that that's non-canonical and just enjoy the freaking game for those. But I guess we've done, we did our coverage of Connect Star Wars a while back. Um, so what about uh, Connect Star Wars and Angry Birds Star Wars? I want to say no on both. I, I want to say Angry Birds, it was just a, they swapped a theme out. And then the other one, I, I it's a lot of fun, but honestly, that doesn't seem like it's LucasArts uh, type of fun. I, it just seems so out there. All right, well, Angry Birds Star Wars is Roxio, same company that does the other Angry Birds stuff. Uh, they basically use the same concept and physics engine. But I will say, Angry Birds Star Wars, if you haven't tried it out yet, it's not just Angry Birds with Star Wars slapped onto it. They have changed the birds, so they are Star Wars-centered. I mean, they do Star Wars-style things. It's not just same movements that you can do with the birds from the other games, just with Star Wars costuming on, essentially. I mean, they they actually did a pretty good job of adapting the Star Wars themes into this. Well, because, like, isn't it if you're Chewie or Han or something like that, the Falcon will swoop in and blast at the stuff, too? I mean, that was what I really liked, was how they kept that in-universe tongue-to-cheek of it all. <laughs> yeah, they do. That you can have a... The Falcon come in and help you. You can have a, a Ben Kenobi use a force push. Luke spins with a lightsaber, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, Han shoots a blaster bolt that can bounce, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Kinect Star Wars is actually kind of a mixed bag here. Because it was for the Kinect, and Kinect is an Xbox 360 exclusive thing, and it's an unusual thing to have to program for, it was actually three different companies collaborating to develop that game. Whoa. Um, it was three of them. It was LucasArts, Microsoft Game Studios, and Terminal Reality. So that is actually a game, and there's actually more things, I think, because of the, the engines that were licensed to use for it, for the Kinect, that show up when you actually boot up the game and whatnot. But yeah, Kinect was technically a LucasArts game, but it was a LucasArts collaboration on the game, as opposed to being one that was strictly in-house developed for them. Wow, dude, this this paints a very livid picture of what's going on with LucasArts. Yep, and that leaves only one more year, and unfortunately only one more game at this point. It's 2013 and Star Wars Pinball. We have The Empire Strikes Back, we have Boba Fett, we have The Clone Wars all getting their own pinball uh, tables for Zen Pinball, uh, which is, of course, something that you can get these as tables and add into Zen Pinball, or eventually they will be available as standalone games. But Star Wars Pinball, uh, mm. do you see those as LucasArts? No, not at all. Yeah, they're they're not. They're produced by Zen Studios, the same studio that has done the Marvel tables and whatnot for their own pinball game at this point. So I, mean, I think that the pattern that we're seeing here is that while LucasArts has had some awesome Star Wars games, I mean, I love the Force Unleashed next-gen games, though I know a lot of people pan them. I love those games. They're my favorite Star Wars games probably ever, um, outside of the Rogue Squadron stuff, which comes in a very, very close second. But I think we can see here that as we look back through the history of Star Wars video games that even LucasArts themselves put on their resume, essentially, these are not all LucasArts developed, and there are tons of great Star Wars games that were produced and developed by somebody else and LucasArts was just the one to stick their label on it and be the ones out there marketing it and producing the physical copies to get it out to consumers. There is nothing to say that some other company cannot put together a knockdown, dragout, 
butt-kicker Star Wars adventure game. Yes, it sucks that Star Wars 1313 and First Assault, which is supposed to be a lead-in to the possibility of Battlefront 3, yes, it sucks that those games have been shut down, at least as far as internal LucasArts development. But great Star Wars games have not always come from LucasArts. They haven't always needed LucasArts. Um, yes, LucasArts had great talent, but this is not a doom and gloom kind of situation. The history of Star Wars video games has shown us that you don't need LucasArts doing the development to make a great Star Wars game. Heck, I'd almost say Disney is kind of cleaning house and making it more, I don't know, out in the open for us. I mean, you know, this has been something that we've been seeing for a long time. So for them to come in and say, hey, we're going back to square one, because that's what I thought they were doing, was going back to, like, we're going to market more of these games out, which that's kind of what LucasArts has been doing. So to, to a lot of ways, it's kind of like they're putting a spotlight on the fact that LucasArts isn't the LucasArts you think about, and we're going to make it what it should have been. Yeah, and I would say that there are two things that we probably should be concerned about with the whole issue with Disney here. Uh, but it's not quality Star Wars games, okay? Um, I think the things we need to be concerned about, one, or I guess three, one is how much they talk about wanting to go to casual games, mobile slash casual games, as opposed to the, the full-sized hardcore video game type of games that we would see on the consoles. That is a concern. Because if that's the way they're going to go, we may see even less of the hardcore console games coming out in the near future. But it's hard to have less than we've had in the last few years. Okay? Um, the second thing we should be concerned about, perhaps, is the fact that um, the future of, of some elements of gaming tends to be digital at this point. Games being released on demand through Xbox 360, through Xbox Live Marketplace, through PlayStation Network, uh, through the Wii U, uh, eShop, things that are being released uh, for the Vita. Uh, PSP Go is a straight uh, digital system, though it didn't uh, succeed nearly as much as its ones that use the UMD disc, its counterparts there. Um, digital games are a valuable option and asset to the portfolio of any video game company. But we have seen through things like Kingdom Hearts that Disney is not nearly as open to digital releases as a lot of other companies are. So there's some measure of concern there to be had, which is that uh, for the foreseeable future, I would expect Star Wars games for the most part to still remain on disc, on cartridge, not being digital releases, at least not digital releases day and date with the console, uh, uh, physical media releases. Although, for many people, that's not a big deal. Saves your hard drive space, but you got to make a trip to the store or order through Amazon or something. Oh, well. The biggest concern I have, the last of the three, though, is Star Wars 1313. And granted, they said that they had turned it into a Boba Fett game by the time it reached the later stages of development. And you know what? I could care less about a freaking Boba Fett game. Give me original characters. Boba Fett, to me, is played out. Uh, he used to be cool and mysterious. Now he's just kind of there. Uh, for some reason to me, Boba Fett thrills <laughs> me uh, not at all much anymore. But the biggest thing that I think 1313 had going for it, the way they talked about it, was that they were in collaboration with ILM and Skywalker Sound. They were able to use the same technology with ILM that they used to create uh, the, the, oh gosh, what is his name? It's not Eric Bana. Who was the Hulk in Avengers? Mark Rufio. Mark Rufio. Uh, Ruffalo. Um, they took his face 
And ILM was able to create the awesome facial animation and characterization of the Hulk in the Avengers. And that was the same technology they were supposed to be using on Star Wars 1313 for the character models. Awesome, awesome tech, making for an awesome-looking next-gen system PS4 type of game. And now, if they farm this out to somebody else, if the game lives at all by being developed by somebody else, will that collaboration be there? That's my concern. If it goes from in-house, we can trust each other, to outside company, we have to share information stuff, that's when I start to be a little bit afraid for the future of a game like that or that game in and of itself. Um, not that you need all that much facial uh, stuff for Boba Fett, if it was him, because he's always in his freaking <laughs> helmet, but for the other characters certainly around him. So that's my concern. I'm concerned about the future of the games that we were excited about, like 1313 that may be gone, and less so, but a concern about the idea of you know, those other two issues there, the digital release stuff and whether or not we're going to wind up seeing um, more casual games than anything else at this point. Though, I mean, a game has to really rock. We're entering an era when a game has to be awesome to be able to be worth paying the 60 bucks for. Uh, yeah. When you can buy a game for two, three, four, five bucks, in some cases at the most, uh, for your tablet, a console game really needs to be able to bring that value. And it seems like Disney is wanting to try to go the other direction. Well, and I think about like the download content flubbubs that we had too. It's exclusive download content here that wasn't as exclusive as we were all told, or or like with. Uh, the Battlefront games, uh, there was exclusive content where you could get Asajj Ventress and Kit Fisto, uh, a couple other levels. I didn't have the internet then, so I will never get those that that uploaded stuff. I've got the internet now. I've got that old gaming system, but they no longer, you know, put stuff out there for the old Xbox. So that that door is closed for me. I dislike that aspect of things. Um, when I hear about thirteen thirteen, the first strike getting closed. I stay hopeful. I mean, look at the list of games we had here with how many people were touched and worked on this one game in the development. Uh, to me, I have a hard time when you work on a project to get this far along and then just kill it completely. Uh, look at Darth Plagueis. How many times was that book canceled? And it finally came out. Uh, you know, I, and I'm just as hopeful when it comes to Imperial Commando 2 that, you know, someday maybe down the road, 10 years from now maybe, you know, I, I'm hopeful like that, that there should be a way. But, you know, the, the mystery there with Fett, I think, you know, yeah, it's been lost, but I think that by bringing Fett into the game, they would have had an opportunity to bring back some of that mystery. I think by giving so much of his backstory that that from the really cool Fett we know from the original trilogy, back going back to that prequel trilogy, whiny little duh Fett that we some love and some don't like, I, I think that in the middle of there, you have an opportunity to bring back that mystery, but unfortunately what we get time and time again is them missing the mark. They're not delivering. And... You know, I, I think that there is enough cry out there that they want that mystery back, though some that cry like you is just leave them alone. <laughs> I don't know. It's going to be an interesting few years to see what happens. I mean, with the lead up to Episode 7, of course, going on, uh, we have Dark Horse. It seems like a lot of their storylines are slowly wrapping up and such. Of course, um, book-wise, we have quite a few that have been announced at this point to just this reshuffling, it's not over by any means. Whether we're talking reshuffling of companies or reshuffling of projects and approach. Uh, we just 
we're just going to have to wait and see. I think it's funny. And I'm going to do a video on this soon for from the Star Wars library for our YouTube stuff out there, um, which actually just hit uh, issue or episode number 122, I believe it was most recently. Uh, I'm going to be doing one because we're about to hit. I'm about to hit the end of the 80s. Do one on the Star Wars dark times and why the dark times weren't nearly as long or as dark as people often make them out to be. I would almost say that this, this is the dark times because dark times it doesn't have to mean there is no content. Um, no content or very little content, but consistent content, not that big a deal as far as I'm concerned. But to have a situation in which things are so up in the air, there is so much confusion, so much concern, so much uh, discontent, whether warranted or not, that I think is probably the true nature of a dark time in Star Wars yeah. fandom. And I think we are sort of working our way through that right now. Um, as evidenced by the sheer amount of angst out there in the fan community about what all's going on with the Disney buyout and and these changes uh, coming to it. I mean, what was the what was it that was announced when Disney was first uh, picking up uh, Lucasfilm and whatnot? The comment was, uh, "LucasArts will start to focus more on casual games than focusing on uh, big budget games." And then, you know, just a few months later, uh, LucasArts is just going to license stuff. They ain't going to develop anything at all uh, at all. For you. <laughs> Hey, you were all suckered once again. <laughs> I suppose so. Uh, no, no, of course, wraps up our time here. Don't forget, folks, though, that we do have that contest going on to be able to win that uh, set of six, uh, level one or class one, the smaller Star Wars Transformers out there. We detailed in our last episode here. Got a little while yet to get into that. If you're hearing this on the release date, send an email to Nathan at StarWarsFanWorks.com or to SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWars.com. It'll still wind up making its way to me at some point or another. Want to put the subject line Transformers in the body of the email. Put your mailing address in case you win the giveaway. And don't forget, this one, because of the shipping costs and whatnot, is limited to those with U.S. mailing addresses only. But the contest is still going. If you want to win those uh, Transformers, uh, check out the last episode for all the details. <laughs> That's right. As Nathan said, that wraps up this show, this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Thank you for hanging around with us as we ponder on and sharing in the fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online at the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on iTunes, which we encourage you to leave us a review while you're there. You know, those reviews help us grow as a show. You can also find links to our episodes on both Twitter and our Facebook page at SWBeyondFilms or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. But no matter how you get there, be sure to like our page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or EU questions or you just have a comment about a past episode, fire off. You can email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. With more than 100,000 titles, you can explore the Star Wars expanded universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate. Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the screen, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Star Wars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. 
saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that 1313 will be picked up by another developer, or that First Assault will, or that we'll ever see either of those see the light of day. Ooh. Or that everyone will be okay with the fact that LucasArts is dead. Didn't on you. Oh god, I feel like an idiot. Sega. Uh, yeah, let me grab a, let me grab a napkin. It's a McDonald's drink that's soaking through onto my wood uh, desk here. Okay, we're uh, losing the structural integrity of the cup. <laughs> okay. Um. All right. Well, the Force Unleashed two. The Xbox 360 and PC. Well, with the first one. That EA Sports, we kill the game. Exactly. Uh, you know, you mentioned about Boba Fett being the hero of 1313 and that not phasing you a bit and the mystery being lost. I'm right there with you. Holy crap, that scared the what shit out of me. What the hell was that? <laughs> Dude, half, half my studio just collapsed. <laughs> I don't know, God, it's on man. the other side of the wall. <laughs> I'm like glad Boba Fett's a... busting in going, you will like my game, motherfucker. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. Like, whoa, sorry, Fett, I love you. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs>